Hello, everyone. Welcome to the second episode of Plains on the Prairie podcast. I'm Max. And I'm Sam. And today we are going to be talking about none other than North Dakota's finest. The happy hooligans. It was um, really smooth there. Thank you. Yeah, a little little bit of practice went into it beforehand. Right. Uh, so, yeah, we have a big show uh, ahead of us we're excited to share with you. I'll let Sam kind of give you guys the rundown, and we'll get started. Yeah, um, we're just going to go through some uh, headlines kind of of some recent uh, aviation warbird news more so. Um, so our first event is, um, is actually an ongoing restoration uh, called the Tsunami Project. So uh, the Tsunami Project is uh, is a restoration of what's uh, what's called a Tsunami, which is a, a purpose-built air racer. Um, over during the Reno Air Races in the Unlimited class, uh, there was a Tsunami that raced back in the 80s and 90s, I believe. And uh, this is out of uh, the Tsunami Project. I'm just going to share my screen here uh, to their Facebook page so you listeners and viewers can check it out. But um, this is what it looks like. It looks pretty similar to um, to a P fifty one generally. Um, they're trying to break the world speed re- uh, record of, I believe, this uh, five twenty eight. Uh, they have a good description down here, and they're involving um, child- children and uh, high school kids into their program or their their uh, restoration to come and learn a little bit. Um, recently, this is about a week and a half ago. They've been doing some work on the fuselage with some skins there. You see here's the rudder pedals. Um, they're always on the lookout for parts right now. So if any of you um, might have some old parts laying around, I know they were looking for, I think it was T-34 rudder pedals. Um, uh, they're, they're always looking for help, it looks like. So uh, that's the Tsunami Project. Um, really interesting there. So I'd check that out if I were you. Um, and then Another one I had uh, was the the flyover that's coming over uh, coming up pretty soon in uh, I believe it's on uh, September 25th over DC, the uh, Arsenal de- Democracy flyover. I don't know if you've heard about that, Max. Yeah. But yeah, that's uh, about 70 vintage aircraft uh, to commemorate the 75th anniversary of the end of World War II. So the CAF is providing a, a large amount of aircraft, uh, a good proportion, I should say. And they're sending, it says, 18 warbirds from 13 units across uh, seven states to help uh, participate. So, um, of course, you got the Fifi, the B-29, um, the Tuskegee Airmen P-51C, uh, Sentimental Journey. That's, that's one I actually had the privilege of flying on a few years back. That's, that's an amazing airplane. And then they got Gunfighter. They got a few B-25s, a couple of L-5s, some little guys there. Corsair, Wildcat, so a lot of really neat airplanes taking part. Um, I don't have any information on much of the other aircraft. Mm-hmm. I believe I know, uh, Fagan Fighters is going, right? Yeah, uh, Fagan Fighters and I believe Miss Mitchell with the CAF out of Minneapolis. I think they're sending her to the flyover as well. I know I've heard uh, there is a Minnesotan aircraft or at least a couple that are taking part in it, so it'll be cool to see which ones. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I follow the Fagan Fighters Instagram. I don't know if you mm-hmm. do too. Oh yeah, I, I'm so jealous of that guy. I know he every day he wakes up. It's like, oh, what am I going to hop into? My P38, P40, P51. It's like, uh, 
I wish. <laughs> I'm over here in student debt, just college, yeah. college right now, <laughs> thinking about maybe one day buying it. Yeah, movie, maybe so. one day. But yeah, that's, that was another interesting thing. Um, these outdoor air shows or flyovers have gotten really popular due to COVID. I mean, oh, especially, yeah. I don't know if you were in town, I think it was in May when uh, 148th flew over Fargo. Uh, I I didn't catch that one. I caught him. I caught him when they flew back in the Twin Cities with the C one thirty from the one oh ninth. Um but I was at the uh B fifty two flyover at uh Sanford out in yep. West Fargo. That was impressive. That you you think that a B fifty two, you know, a sixty plus year old aircraft can't go very fast, but it it we were all just hanging out by my car and we heard a guy say, Oh, there she is and we looked up and she was over within maybe eight seconds. It was just, and you didn't even hear it coming. That was the crazy right. part. You think with a B-52, it's like, oh, you got to hear it coming from like a mile away. Nope. Just right on top of you instantly. Yeah. And these, these little public boosts, morale boosts are awesome to have oh, right now. And especially. I mean, it'd be cool to have these after COVID too. And I, I hope they really do. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, they can justify these, these cross country flights or whatever, you know, the training type. Yeah. They're training they're doing so. So it's something really cool, and then these warbirds doing that as well is always awesome to see. Mm-hmm. You know, when I oh go ahead, go ahead. Oh, uh, you know, in in Fargo, we used to you know at the air museum there, there used to be people flying all the time warbirds, so it was always a treat. So it's cool to see something else too once in a while. But you know, I, I live uh, in at my parents' home in Fargo. Uh, you know, they got the flight path right to the south end of the run the main runway there at Fargo. And you can hear you can hear a Mustang so distinctively, and then a T yep. six. Some people just hate the sound of a T six, but I see with the especially. I grew up in the Twin Cities, actually, pretty close to Wings over the yeah Wings over the North um, in Eden Prairie. <clears throat> and my dad and I will be hanging out in the house, and instantly you'll recognize the sound of a Mustang coming over instantly. Yeah. And it's 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 just that the distinct sound and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's the Merlin engine. I, I don't know specific engines, but so distinct. Like you can, I, I don't know. I've been able to pick out the difference between an eight or a T six and a Mustang pretty, pretty easily. That That's my that favorite just, sound. I, mm-hmm. I camped at Oshkosh a few years back and oh, you know, for sure. there'd be a couple, two or three Mustangs flying over in formation at like seven in the morning and, you know, just wake everybody up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the people I was with, we were like, we're okay with that best alarm clock I've ever had. So, but all right. Um, yeah. Um, I think other than that, there's just a couple quick headlines. Um, yeah, uh, Tom Riley, the person who restored that, uh, XP 82 twin Mustang that's for sale right now. Um, so if any of you are out there, I believe he's selling it for 12 million. Yeah. $12 million. I got that. So I, I think I got a few bucks in my wallet, but we can, we can all pitch. Go, go in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Plains of Fame Museum uh, based in Chino, California, just got an airworthy Gloucester Meteor. Uh, T7, that. The trainer variant. So that's, that's something really interesting to see stateside. You don't, you don't see a lot of uh, RAF warbirds out well, there. So I know uh, there's a couple guys that I follow on insta that are from the uk and they're pretty i think it came from the uk actually yeah and they're uh they're a bit disappointed that they lost that but yeah, yeah. What, can, what can we say well Adolf <laughs> gallon the uh, famous german fighter ace uh, from world war ii he he flew 262s 
So he always joked if they strapped meteor engines to a 262 airframe and made it a little bit larger, it would have been the perfect fighter. There you go. So That's coming from that guy. So it must mean something. <laughs> trust it. All right. So and then you just landed an internship with Fargo. I did. Engine, so. I did land a new internship. Um, I started there last week. Um, kind of working the front desk a little bit for right now, but it's a bit of a busy uh session if that makes sense so we're uh we're just getting ready for this gala which is actually this friday um i believe i don't i don't know the specifics of the ticket prices but we are having um sierra sue uh tbm and a, a spitfire actually just came oh, was nice. coming in from minot so it's actually going to be quite the turnout um i'm excited i'm going to try and sneak my camera in and do some james bond style photography but one of the cool things that um, my boss was telling me is that they're strapping um, beer kegs like oh yeah the underwing pylons like they did in the war and that's gonna how that's gonna be how your beer is dispensed so that's really cool I, I might have to uh, sneak a glass if no one's looking or so I, it, and I to set the record straight I am older than 21 right. so <laughs> <laughs> that's uh that's the mark nine right I believe so yep. yeah and that's I believe the mark nine was the variant that actually did the beer kegs so that's kind of <sighs> cool keep it yeah, accurate. I, yeah, I might have to i might have to stop in there this weekend if they're on sunday I, i'm hoping still there i think they should still be um i they haven't mentioned when they're coming in or when they're going i would assume probably sometime tomorrow um if you're li i don't know when we're going to make this live but uh i'm going to try and get recordings of them if they are coming in on friday because i work all day yeah so yeah just check my uh social media at or at shots from Saban and hopefully they're up there and I'll repost right. them if they don't. Yeah. I'm, I remember, uh, well, they used to call it the celebrity auction. I don't know if they still do, but when I was mm -hmm. volunteering there, uh, we had sweet revenge come in a couple of years and that was kind of neat to see. Yeah. It's cool. Um, cause that's from Fagan, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the, the red checker nose. Uh, that one's interesting cause it's got the polished aluminum propeller. Mm -hmm. uh, kind of like uh, I think Quicksilver is another one like that um, but I think they stayed for a few days so maybe I'll have to I'm going out to Bismarck this weekend but I might have to swing in through Fargo of course, so, of course. So, <laughs> um, all right yeah um, any other news that we should cover no um, we can probably dive into the hooligan section cool all right so uh, before we get started um just want to say that most of the information that we'll be covering is coming from this book right here. This was uh, the 2017 or the 70th anniversary um, North Dakota Happy Hooligans uh, memoirs book. Uh, lots of pictures, lots of information. Um, I was actually gifted this during a visit that I had about a year ago for a class project. So that was a very nice welcome gift. Very nice. So, um, get started on the history of the happy hooligans so they can trace their lineage um, back to the 392nd fighter squadron during the second world war where they flew p-38s um, before and even during the normandy invasion into the early years of early 1945 when they transitioned to the p-47 thunderbolt doing uh, ground interdiction missions all that fun stuff um, after the war the 392nd was inactivated like a lot of fighter squadrons at the time. Um, but they were, let's see, uh, 
my notes are all over the board. Um, activated, re, they were reactivated in December 1946, and they received federal recognition a few years, or a few, oh my gosh, a few weeks later in January 1947. So yeah, um, let's see. So interestingly, that the lineage was like P-47s and P-38s. However, when they became the Air Guard, they didn't fly either of those aircraft. I believe the P-38s never even made it to the Air National Guard scene, but I know the P-47s did. Um, but they did fly the F-51 Mustang, which is the P-51. It's just that they called it the F after the war for fighter designation instead of pursuit. So let me see if I can pull up a picture. Oh, I closed my screen. So I think you guys can still hear me. I just closed everything. Yeah, that's a that's a folder I have too on my desktop. It's full of airplane stuff. Yeah. <laughs> see so what's interesting about these early um air guard mustangs is they have oh my gosh why is it going crazy if you look closely kind of a bit of a blurry image they have this buffalo roundel um or the bison i should say for everyone in north dakota um that isn't their actual logo I believe that was their early one, and they eventually transitioned into the Eagle, which is on the F-94. Um, we'll cover that in a bit. But uh, while doing my research, I found that the P or the F-51 wasn't the only aircraft that they flew. They also flew the A or B-26 Invader and the C-47 Skytrain, as well as the AT-6 Texan for training purposes. And as everyone that's probably listening to this podcast knows, a lot of those AT-6s are still out flying today on the air show circuit. Um, I believe there are, I don't, I remember hearing that there was, at least from someone at the museum, that there is a former hooligan AT6 somewhere up in northeastern North Dakota. I don't know if it still looks like it did, but I, that, I heard yeah. that someone bought one of them. Yeah, I heard. I think it's. I think it's actually up in Grafton. I'm not, Grafton, I'm not gotcha. well aware. There was. Well, I remember. I don't think it was a hooligan one, but um, near Hillsboro, there was a. There was a fuselage section of it of the of a T6 just sitting out out on the out on the fields next to. I don't know if you've been by that airport on. I, I haven't been up by the airport. I, I have it, been up there. It's off I-29 on the west side. Um, okay. But they used to have it there. Um, a friend of mine, uh, Mike Vandermeulen, he used to he used to be a longtime volunteer at the Air Museum. He he would go around and snag pictures for airliners.net back when that was quite a booming uh, system there. So, gotcha, gotcha. Um, also, uh, most notably of the C-47s that they had there was Mini H, which is actually still around. She hasn't been broken up and turned into pop cans. She's uh, out in Bonanzaville in West Fargo, and I believe they're still open for another couple months before it gets too cold. But yeah, you can go out there and see her and actually walk through her. Um, I used to be an intern there as well, so I kind of have, have to give a plug. But uh, she's not in the best of shape, and they're working on trying to get her fixed up. 
but I mean, she's intact and she's still around. So that's kind of all that matters there. Yeah. Um, so after the F-51s left in 1954, uh, hooligans transitioned to the F-94 Starfire. And I should uh, go back and correct myself. The hooligans didn't become the hooligans until the mid to late 50s. And um, we'll cover that in a little bit more. But they, uh, the first jet fighter that they flew was the F-94 Starfire and the T-33 T-Bird. Um, they were the first... Or they were the first Air National Guard unit to be proficient with air-to-air rocket gunnery training. So they, uh, I think, what was the specific name of the pilot uh, slips my mind, but he uh, he hit a two-by-three moving target with an unguided rocket from the F-94, and they basically were like, all right, you're qualified. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I always get a kick out of that story, so. Yeah, and that was like I said, that was the first jet fighter assigned, and it would be their first or they their uh, role change from just a generic air guard unit to air defense, which was new in the early fifties. Mm-hmm. They were tasked with protecting, um, I believe, from the border with Montana up until, or no, all of Montana and up until the border with Minnesota. So they would work in conjunction with like Maelstrom Air Force Base and the my or uh, yeah. I, I do believe that there was a unit in my, maybe not in Minot at the time, but I know Grand Forks had a air defense unit as well. Yep. So, yeah. Um, after that, this is kind of like a, a walkthrough podcast. <laughs> uh, we're hoping that the images will be popping up while I'm showing these. So it's not just our beautiful faces talking into a camera. Um, so after the F-94C left in 1960, it was replaced by the F-89 Scorpion, which as we talked about, I believe last episode, I think we gave a little bit of a shout out. I think it was, yep. yeah, one of my personal, one of my personal favorites. Um, it was also, the F-89 was the first hooligan aircraft to actually have happy hooligans written on the tail. Um, it was either on the tail or on their, uh, fuel pods, I believe, depending on which variant you look at, I know the F-89D had the Minnie Mouse rockets and the uh, wingtip pods. Um, I don't know how much pilots enjoyed those. I think they were a bit clumbersome. But, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And while flying the F-89, the hooligans took second place at the Ricks Memorial Trophy Weapons Meet competition at Tyndall Air Force, Tyndall Air Force, Air Force Base in August 1964. So, you know, it's a part of hooligan history. Um, I know the F-89, the museum, a couple of the museum staff were talking if the collection at the Air Force Base or at the Air Guard Base was to ever uh, be relocated to a place where more people could see it, which has been a genuine conversation. Um, I believe they said that the F-89 would be the only aircraft that would not be allowed to come to the museum because there is such a high demand at other Air Force bases Mm -hmm. that want one because so many were torn apart and scrapped after the war. Um, I don't believe the F-89 ever became a target drone. I believe it was just too slow and there were no comparable like Soviet aircraft that kind of resembled it. So they just figured, okay, we'll get rid of them all. How Um, many, how many uh, F-89s have you come across? In my time, uh, I've came across three actually. 
Yeah. Um, I came across the one at the Minnesota Air National Guard Museum in Minneapolis, St. Paul, which is actually in phenomenal shape, um, given, you know, how few volunteers and resources they have. Um, I always like aircraft that are on display that have like the original stencil markings mm -hmm. and like warning signs, or as opposed to the one in Fargo, just it has generic, you know, North Dakota Air Guard, no yeah. stenciling other than like the ejection seat warnings. Um, but no, and then the third one I saw when I was in Hartford, Connecticut, and that one was very more or less kind of just in p bits and pieces, but it yeah. was, you know, you could still identify an F-89. So, right. Yeah. Um, that was flown from 1960 until 1966 when they transferred over to the F-102 Delta Dagger. So, um, while flying the Dagger, they, the hooligans surpassed 56,000 accident-free hours, which, especially for an Air Guard unit made up of, to be honest, volunteers, that's pretty damn impressive. And especially of the time, you know. Oh, for sure. Accidents were, just imagine nowadays, like you hear you hear about one or two accidents a year, maybe in the yeah. U.S., if mm -hmm. that. And now it's, or back then it was like, Every couple, every month, you had to, yeah, uh, more so on the commercial aviation side. But. With those early jets, like you didn't know how they were going to operate. Like right. it was all kind of just up in the air at that point, and, and well, pun intended. Well, especially with that Delta wing, you know, you, it's such a you go from a, a a Scorpion to to the Dagger. You got that that wing ma major wing change from going from a straight wing to oh for sure that Delta. So many different uh, slow speed characteristics and. Mm -hmm. Crazy. It, it always, I'm always curious to learn how, especially those early years with the Air Guard, when they transitioned from an F-89, which was compared to an F-102, pretty slow. Yeah. Like, did the pilots have to go back and completely redo their training, or did they have to? I mean, I assume that a cockpit in an F-102 is very different from an F-89, and it, yeah. an F-109 or F-89, excuse me, is a two-seat. You know, you have the pilot in the Wizzo or mm -hmm. I believe a Rio if you're in the Navy in the back. So like, how do they take on that responsibility? It's just, yeah, I can't even think of a, of, of a trainer to go into a Delta wing aircraft. Cause I was, mm -hmm. I mean, back then that you had the, the one Oh six later on, then you also had mirages and then you got the typhoon nowadays, but yeah, you know, there's not many, many delta wings out there so there, mm -hmm. there wasn't very many opportunities to train yeah definitely not in the united states i know the united states is kind of straight away from them since the 106 yeah or i mean if you want to consider the f-117 a delta wing but i mean that's yeah. just kind of like a flying wing <laughs> <laughs> um so actually it's interesting talking to one of the volunteers at the um uh, museum he uh had crewed f-106s at grand forks back when they still had that unit and he was saying that the f-106s were a considerable step up from the 102s and i mean the fargo air guard never flew the 106s however um the fifth fighter interception squadron out of minot did for the longest time actually for like 30 or 40 years hmm. um and we'll cover them in a separate podcast but just hearing how, and then he went from the F-106 F-106s. he came to Fargo and started working on F-4s and the F-16s. And just kind of the complications between the cold weather, they seemed almost non-existent on 
I, I think he said the F4s and F16s as compared to the 106s. Hmm. So we're getting a bit off topic here. But um, let's see. Sorry, I, all my notes go up until the F106. I wasn't able to get much after that. So um, after the 106s departed in 1969, I believe, um, we come to my personal favorite, the uh, F101B Voodoo. Yeah. Now that is um, the two-seat uh, fighter, well, fighter interceptor. I think it was originally conceived as uh, escort for the bombers, um, long-range ones, but it never was needed in that exact role. And it was a one-seater originally, I believe, the F101A or not the B, obviously, but I think either this A or C, one of the two was a two-seater. And then they had the RF101, yep. which was the reconnaissance version. Um, let me see. Sorry, I'm flipping through these, this book page right here. So, yeah. Um, and all the aircraft that we've mentioned, um, they all are, at least one of them is on display in, um, at the base. I know for a few of the other ones, such as the F-4 or the F-101, there is at least one of them displayed off of the base. Um, mm -hmm. We'll be talking about that a little bit later as well. So, uh, I believe the hooligans flew the F-101 for, if I could find that picture. Just enjoy the pictures that will be accompanying the slideshow. <laughs> um, let's see, yeah, they flew the F-101 from 1970 until the late 1970s. I can't find the exact date, but they transitioned to the extremely popular F4 Phantom, which as you can see, if you saw my background earlier in the episode, you know that it's probably one of the most, if not the most iconic hooligan aircraft that they flew. Um, for almost, I, I believe it was more than a decade, they flew yeah. the F4, um, performing the air defense mission in, you know, North Dakota, North, upper Northern North America, if that makes sense. And I believe they had their first uh, combat deployment to uh, Iceland in the mm -hmm. F Force, where they intercepted eight of the Soviet Bear bombers. Pretty yeah, that'd impressive. be that'd be a heck of an experience flying yeah. off the wing of a T ninety five. I've always, I'd be curious to know, like, if it was just kind of like a tense stare down, or if the pilots were like, "Hey, you know, how you, how you doing?" I well, obviously they can't talk to one another, but right. I was reading up on an article. It was a B fifty two. One was actually from Minot. I don't know if you heard about that. Yes, last I week. did. Yeah, the the multiple interceptions mm -hmm. that. That would have been a cool flight to be on just to see what you can run into. Mm -hmm. I think I, uh, I heard that they actually, at least on one of the intercepts, they got like really close and the B-52 got caught in the jet wash. And there's oh. like camera footage from one, I think one of the navigators or something on the B-52 and they are just thrown around. So I don't know if that was intentional or just a bit of an oversight on the Russian pilot's part, but it was at least for there was no audio but the the way that the cameraman or woman i don't know was thrown around and back that was a bit of, looked like a bit of a scary moment yeah. um so yeah and then after the f4 um departed it was the f16 which was the last fighter that the hooligans flew um they flew the f16 from eight, 1989 up until 2007 
Um, Sam, since you're from the Fargo area, do you ever recall hearing or seeing any F-16s at air shows or anything like that? I do. I, you know, I was, I was seven when they left, but I, I remember a little bit just seeing them bank and yank over Fargo once in a while. So that was always quite the sight. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't have too much recollection from it, uh, but, but more so with the Learjet that you'll probably cover next. But mm-hmm. um, to go back to the F4 real quick, I just recalled a story. One of my uh, previous college roommates, his father went to NDSU in the eighties and, you know, being an aviation geek, I always have to ask like, Oh, do you remember the, the F4s or the F16s? And he was telling a story of um, I think it was a Saturday, like during game day and the hooligans were going to fly over, you know, do a little show for everyone. And they came over campus and my friend's father was studying at the time. He wasn't interested in football. He was more of a basketball player. So he was uh, studying in the library and he just finished up. He was walking out and he said, I, one of the hooligans must have gone full afterburner. And I think he said almost broke the, <laughs> broke the sound barrier over Fargo, <laughs> especially over campus. Cause he said like two of the windows in the library blew out and I, I, he said he didn't know if the pilot got reprimanded for that or what, but saying just being able to see like over a, you know, population center such as Fargo having an F4 blow out a window. That's, I think that if it's true, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Especially that- with how heavy those old girls got can't do that anymore <laughs> no you can't do that in an mq9 that's for sure um let's see now so yeah so f the f-16s um play a very big part in hooligan history um considering that tomorrow is the 19th anniversary of 9-11 it would be um it'd be i don't know the it it the story with the hooligans and 9-11 is actually very interesting. Um, on September 11th, the hooligans were stationed at Langley Air Force Base. They had a small detachment there um, that was in charge of protecting Washington, D.C. And on September 11, 2001, three F-16s were scrambled to cover or provide air cover over Washington, D.C. Um, after the Pentagon attack, um, or actually, no, I read that they were scrambled in response to the World Trade Centers. And while they were in the process of being scrambled, the airliner hit the Pentagon. So um, I believe, I mean, I have the names in this. Yeah, I can't remember the name, but um, one of the kid, one volunteer, he was, he's a few years younger than I am. His dad, I think, was actually one of the pilots. Really? Yeah, I'm trying to. I, I can't recall the last name, but um, but I it's, think um, is that picture still on display at the museum? Yeah, are the they have the painting? They have the painting. Oh nine two six. Yeah. Okay. And actually, it's uh, currently on display for a limited time. I don't know when we'll get around to posting it, but it is at the museum for a limited time. Um, it was Major Dean Ekman, who was the first one flying yep. over in 0926. And then you had um, Major Brad Daring and Craig ba- or Captain Craig Borgstrom. Um, I know two of the F-16s were the ADF uh, C variants. Hmm. And I think the third one was a two-seater that just I don't know if that actually was fully armed, but I know the other two were. 
Um, but yeah, they were obviously unable to intercept the airliner before it hit. Um, yeah, so um, moving forward. Um, actually, the second F-16 that was scrambled and flew over to the Pentagon is on display at Joint Base McCord, I believe, in Washington. Um, so if you're ever out there, you can go and check it out. I know it's on my bucket list to see it. So yeah, yeah. So after the uh, F-16s departed in 2007, they were equipped with the C-21 Learjet. Uh, I honestly do not know a whole lot about that aircraft. So Sam, I'm curious if you know anything about it. Um, well, I believe it's a Lear 45 uh, mm -hmm. civilian designation. If not, it's a 35. I'm not. I'm not really the strongest on on biz jets. Yeah, neither um, am I. <laughs> it's, it's not really, it's not my interest level or interest area. I mean, I can, uh, you know, military aviation obviously is there for me and then just some GA stuff. But, mm -hmm. but yeah, they had the Learjet. Um, they would bring it into the museum once in a while for display, like temporary, oh, cool. temporarily wheel it over and, or taxi it over, I should say. Was it a, like a, a functioning one or was it? Yeah, this, yeah oh, they wow. brought it over. They just kind of kept it on the ramp. It wasn't very oh, often. gotcha. Then they had always had it out for the air shows um, back when uh, that was uh, when they were around. But, um, but yeah, that's, uh, I believe it's on display in, uh, in Dayton now, right? Yeah, it was the, yeah. at least, um, I believe, six, 8064, that's the designation on it. Um, it was the first one accepted by the Air Force. And I actually just found out that it's being put into storage. So they're taking it off display. Um, bit of a bummer. Um, for me personally, I would like to see it given back to the hooligans and put into their air memorial park. Um, that's just me, but I don't have that control yet. So <laughs> I have to wait. Um, oh yeah, go ahead. Unfortunately though, I mean, it's, it's sad. I mean, I'm interested in every aircraft, mm -hmm. but um, I feel like those, uh, those type of aircraft, the uh, utility type, kind of like um, you got the, I, f I always forget the designation, but like a King Air, you know, you got mm -hmm. military King Airs and you know, you got the T-50, which is a one seven Cessna 172. They, they don't get much attention, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So coming from like a, a museum standpoint, I'm guessing that might be some of the reason, but that could really shine at the Fargo Air Museum for mm -hmm. sure. Yeah, for so. sure. For sure. Um. No, it's, it's, I mean, they, obviously a, a Learjet is nowhere near as fast or as, you know, cool appeal. I, I don't want to say the wrong thing, but an F-16 draws a bigger crowd than a Learjet. Right. So I can see where they're coming from. Hey, it's just kind of in the collection. Like, yes, it's a part of Air Force history, but if they're trying to tell a, a bigger part of it, a Lear, an F-16 has done more, it, I believe, for the Air Force than a Learjet. And uh, as a museum, you want to draw a crowd and you know, exactly. you, want, you want as many attention getting airplanes as possible. I mean, that, that museum over there is, is, Oh, it's incredible. Plenty of aircraft to, mm -hmm. to draw you in. I mean, yeah. I would be drawn in by that Learjet personally, but, um, but I know plenty of people who most likely wouldn't. I mean, people on, mm -hmm. on campus here, they, they barely know what a, a, a they, they don't, yeah, they hardly, they, I don't know if they could even, yeah, spell they're it. All, they're all airline. <laughs> yeah. Oh, at, at, at UND. Yeah, I, I, go, I should clarify. I go to NDSU. So the aviation crowd is very low at NDSU. I assume UND, it's much. Yeah, and that's that's where, uh, 
I remember my freshman year, I was with a group of people and uh, we were out at a restaurant and a kid uh, had a crush on the waitress and he slaps down his student pilot certificate at the, at the, at the table. And, and he's like, Oh, I'm sorry. That was supposed to be my credit card. And <laughs> that does not work up in Grand Forks. I mean, the student, I mean, a large percentage, I think is, I don't remember exactly, but it's, it's between 10 and 20% of, of mm-hmm. our students are aviation out of 16,000. So there's, there's, there's plenty of, aviation, yeah, plenty of pilots, plenty, to go plenty of nerds up here. Um, but that's perfect. More people listen to our podcast. Yeah, exactly. I got plenty. I bet you a few of them are listening to this as, as it's uploaded. So awesome. That's what I'd like to hear. So after the Learjet departed in 2013, the hooligans lost their man flying mission. Um, bit of a bummer, but they picked up the unmanned reconnaissance mission um, flying the MQ-1 and now the MQ-9 Predator. Um, during my previous research project, I was talking to a member of the Air Guard who was involved with higher-ups, I won't say his name, but he said that in the previous 50 years that they were air defense, obviously they were doing the ser- a service to their country, protecting against the northern, or, protecting the air, the region against Soviet bombers or Russian bomber formations. Um, however, with the MQ-1 and MQ-9, they have been more involved with direct frontline combat than they ever have been before. Um, during my tour of the base, I was told that they fly combat missions in the Middle East from Fargo, which for me, that's just absolutely mind boggling. Mm-hmm. The fact that they can wake up, drive to work, which, you know, it's on the base and fly a mission somewhere in the Middle East and protect our men and women on the ground there. I think that's remarkable. And then go back home to their families at the end of the day. I, it's, and that, I mean, that's just the world we live in these days, but it's, it's very impressive. I mean, from a pilot standpoint, it's kind of like, oh, they're taking our jobs, but it, yeah. <laughs> it, it's super important. And it, you know, the development of unmanned flight is, is amazing the last 15, 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got to, when I toured the base, uh, I think it was, it was my senior year of high school. And I got to, I got to fly a, a predator simulator. I think it was actually before senior year. Uh, Cause I think, when did they get the Reapers? Was it 2018? Uh, 2017. 17. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I, it might've been earlier than that, but it was, I got to, there's two of us. One, I was flying the simulator and then someone was operating the camera and the weapons. So it was really sweet. It was kind of a cool opportunity. That's very cool. And I never, before that, I didn't really have, I shouldn't say the respect, but just the, I guess I always looked at unmanned aerial vehicles and kind of a lower aspect. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's a joke always with drone pilots and things like that, but that, that's, that's something I would not want to mess with, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. but it's such an amazing program they have over there. Oh, for sure. And you look at how far North Dakota has come. Uh, you had bombers and refuelers at Grand Forks and Minot, and then you had the fighter missions at all three of the bases. And now two of the three are unmanned aerial reconnaissance. And the other one is probably one of the most, I mean, you look at what Grand, or not Grand Forks, what Minot has, you have B-52s and Minuteman 3 ICBMs. And honestly, it's one of the most, I, I think one of the deadliest states <laughs> yeah. in the United States. Well, they're saying if, they're saying if the U.S. Uh, uh, seceded from the, from the Union, or sorry, from North Dakota, if North Dakota seceded from the U.S., 
um, they would have been the third most powerful nuclear uh, oh my in all the world back <laughs> I in, believe in the it. 80s. Oh, um, my gosh. And that's in the 80s. You look at it now and you have Reapers and what are, yeah. the Global Hawks. Is that what the, the big yep. ones are? Yep, Global Chickens. <laughs> uh, yeah, I when I fly up here in Grand Forks, I, I sometimes get the privilege of when I fly over the they we have to fly get permission to fly through the base area. They have it's called a temporary flight restriction at TFR. So mm-hmm. uh, it's a zone on a chart. You you can see them on charts and yeah, um, and we have to get permission. But anyways, uh, I was I think this was about a month ago. I was flying uh, to Jamestown and uh, off my wing uh, a couple thousand feet below there was a there's a global hot going on final there for the base and that was oh so that was something really cool to see and then um back actually during my private pilot check ride um about two years ago um i was flying i was doing a it's called a short field landing it's a uh, basically you know procedure to get in and out of really tight spaces in an airplane and uh that was one of the required parts for our test and uh my examiner's sitting there with me. He's like, okay, um, let's do that landing. And then, um, so we get down, we're approaching the runway at about 65 miles an hour. And then all of a sudden I hear on the, on the radio, the towers clearing the, uh, um, the Reaper in the pattern that was with us, which was already really cool and distracting, mm-hmm. um, that they could turn their base leg, which is where they turn perpendicular to the runway. So they're, once they get cleared to that, they can basically come in and they're cleared to land. Oh wow! And uh, their approach speed is much faster than sixty miles an hour. I can tell you that yeah. <laughs> because I touched down on the ground, and the procedure for a short field landing is to break as hard as you can, pull back on the on the uh, on the yoke, so you can get maximum aerodynamic braking. Which I can go on and on about aerodynamics, but mm-hmm. um, but basically you stop on the runway, and instead of keeping it rolling, and uh, all of a sudden I hear uh, the control tower lady. She's like. All right, uh, take off now. Get off the ground. Get out of the way. Basically, <laughs> they didn't want to make the reaper go around, and mm-hmm. um, so I was just sitting there staring, kind of trying to stare back and see if I can on takeoff. And my examiner was like, "I know it's cool, but you gotta, you gotta stare forward." Yeah, <laughs> stare forward. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it was some really cool experiences for sure. The guard. So yeah, I know it's like it, like you mentioned earlier, um, reap like for a lot of people drones and unmanned or cargo planes might not be as fascinating as the fast fighters, but just hearing the stories that come accompanying a lot of these things, it's incredible. Um, and I had a classmate that worked in the Reaper ops building and he was telling me a story. Um, I won't say his name because I believe it's classified and yeah. might, might get in trouble for telling this story, but a certain person was telling me that they were doing a mission over a middle Eastern country and they were uh, providing overwatch for a group of Marines and the Reaper crew saw a projectile come out of a window and they told the Marines to look there. And when they got closer, uh, an insurgent dropped a grenade out the window and they were able to pick up the grenade, return it to where it came from and neutralize the threat. And I just thought if that had been any other aircraft, that probably would not have happened. Being able to have guys have provide overwatch and see that happen and relay that information in real time from North Dakota to the battlefield in the middle East. That was that, that kind of summed it up. It's like, okay, maybe the, the mission now was more right. important than it ever. Saving has. a lot of lives. Just think about how many people you saved right there. Just exactly. 
Exactly. Um, so the future for the hooligans, um, I asked a couple people and they believe that they're going to remain an unmanned flying mission for the time being. There were talks of them possibly in the future converting to, I do not know the name of it, but it's based off of the, uh, the ag, ag cat. Like it's an air, air. Oh yeah. 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 yeah they we're talking about the, the air tractors. Yeah. The yeah. air tractor. Yeah. Those. I don't know the name either, but I've, I've been seeing pictures of them. I'm like, yeah, they're like going through testing right now. And I, every time I see a picture, I, I imagine the red hooligan stripe, and I'm like, oh my god, that makes me want to join up right now. <laughs> it does. I know my grandpa was a crop duster, and I can just imagine seeing that flying. Yeah, that, it's it's that. such a that that aircraft, and it just that deserves an episode on its own. Yeah. But, Thinking about how versatile, like you have the A-10s and you have like Reapers, but having a light, fast attack aircraft that can remain airborne for a while, mm. like you don't always need an A-10 to level a house. Sometimes they're, it's just like coming from a tree line or something like that. And I think yeah. an AGCAT or an air tractor would do perfectly in that role. Well, there's plenty of crazy North Dakotans who would do it. So. Yes, that I bet most of the pilots who come from the Midwest, especially North Dakota. <laughs> but there was also rumors, um, I think it was, a, it was a few years back, about getting uh, C-27s. Yes, yeah. um, they were actually getting, like, that's why they had the C-21, was they were anticipating that. And then when that program was canceled for the Air Force, all those aircraft, I believe, either went to the Coast Guard or the Boneyard. So they actually okay. never got the cargo mission. Bit of a bummer, but that's how the Air Force works, I guess. Yeah, lots of bureaucracy. <laughs> yes, lots of bureaucracy. Um, and a quick shout out. I want to give a shout out to um, all the flight ops. I know we really covered the uh, fighter mission and the Reaper ops, but got to give a shout out to the security forces, especially my friends that are listening into, into this Well, we're talking about it. So you guys are the ones that are protecting the gates and not letting people like me and Sam get in there. <laughs> pictures. So, all right. Um, I think that kind of sums it up for the hooligan history. Obviously, we left out a lot. There yeah. is a lot of history that's in this book. Um, if you want to learn more, you can go to the NDSU archives. They have a lot of like firsthand documents from the 1970s. And also the Fargo Air Museum's library upstairs. I spent almost an hour of my free time looking through their hooligan section and I, my job, I'll hit the floor. It was absolutely amazing, especially <laughs> like some of the photograph collections that they have, I, I need to go back and I, I might need to borrow them and get them scanned because yeah. they are remarkable. Oh, we used to scan stuff all the time when I volunteered there. A few buddies I and I would be like, okay, I want to take this home and read it. Yeah. For a little bit, so I'm gonna scan it. <laughs> huh. But is that, is that book available at all? Uh, yeah, actually this one, I did not see a copy of it in the library. Um, they have the 1990s. They have like, and they have many copies of them. They have, hmm like three of the 97s, like 1997s, and then they have like six of the 1977 ones. Okay. The 1977 ones are cool because like in this one, they don't really cover the MQ. They focus a lot on like the F-16, but see mm -hmm. many of the missions that they fly with the Reapers and Predators are still very classified. Yeah. So they can't, you know, share pictures of them. But in 1977, the, like the last... 30 pages it's just all voodoos and yeah. it i love it 
Um, speaking of voodoos, yep. uh, you want to yeah. talk about our kebab flyer? Yeah, sure. All right. So <laughs> Perfect our kebab, segue. <laughs> our kebab flyer is in Devil's Lake, North Dakota. Uh, for those of you who don't know where Devil's Lake is, uh, that's um, about an hour west of, of Grand Forks on Highway 2. Um, beautiful area if you want to just it, visit and go fishing. Like it the walleye capital nice. of Dakota. Disputed walleye capital of North Dakota. <laughs> um, you also got uh, Sakakawea out west. But, um, but yeah, this, this voodoo, um, definitely on a kebab. Um, I'm going to pull up the aerial visuals page for people to see that here. One moment here. Sure. But um, I saw this one over Memorial Day weekend back in May, I went camping up there just to kind of escape all the COVID stuff. Um, but I was like, I have to stop at the airport because I have to see this voodoo here. That I think you can see the screen, right? Yeah, I can see Yeah. It. Okay. So yeah, here, here it is. Um, look who took that look, picture. I, I don't know who that is, but... Huh. <laughs> I, bet, I bet he's a pretty cool dude if he's taking yeah, pictures. I don't know about that, but... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um... It has the markings of 80311. Um, it was previously with the 111th uh, Fighter Interception Squadron of the air based in um, Ellington Air Force Base in Texas. I really like this scheme, to be honest. Um, just with the, the Texas, the Lone Star flag on the on the mm-hmm. t- on the on the rudder there. Um, yeah. I, I 100% agree with a lot of the voodoos that you see that are still preserved these days. It's they're almost always, unless it's like in a certain state like North Dakota, they're almost always in the Texas markings. I think yeah. other than the hooligans, I think the Texas Air National Guard is probably the most famous for flying the voodoos. Yeah. Um, I'll say close third is the bulldogs, but I think they're more famous for their phantoms. Yeah. Um, no, it's crazy. When I was out in Wyoming, um, I didn't get to see it, but I was looking on aerial visuals and in very backwater town in Wyoming, there's a Texan F-101 just sitting on a post oh. and it, it's in pretty decent shape, all things considered. It's like, where did, like, what, what is a I Texas voodoo? Yeah. And then you look at, I mean, obviously you have the North Dakota air guard history here, but it's like mm-hmm. a Texas voodoo made its way to rural North Dakota. Pretty, pretty impressive. But, well, it's just kind of crazy that all these kebab flyers around, like, before talking to you, I had no idea how many there were. Mm-hmm. Now now I'm on this site all the time when I go on a road trip. I know. Like, See, I, I, I got you. I got you on that one. Oh, I, <laughs> I, I, I love we, – when we had our previous conversation, I'll say it for the listeners, but if you're into aviation, aerial visuals is a must-have, especially if you're into old fighters. Um, when I go on road trips, um, I always will map out my route looking at what aircraft I will pass along the way. And speaking of road trips, um, I actually just was notified that my family that lives in Kansas City is going to be coming up through Wyoming. They're going to Cheyenne. They're going to be in Rapid City. And my aunt was like, I know it's a bit of a drive for you, but if you were to leave on a Saturday, like early, I was thinking an early, like early Saturday morning, She's like, we're going to spend the weekend in Rapid City if you want to come and join us. And I was like, Rapid City. And then I thought about what they have there. Yep. And I was like, okay, I'm coming. <laughs> <laughs> so so I will hopefully, um, I'm going to try and get my camera. 
I'm going to test and see if I can do, um, uh, well, this is kind of the back stuff, but for everyone still listening, we appreciate it. I just kind of ramble at this point. Yeah. But um, yeah, I'm going to try and get some footage from that museum and maybe we can get it uploaded to the YouTube channel as a bit of a walkthrough. So, okay. Yeah. That'll be definitely sweet. Um, we can make a podcast episode about it. Yeah. And then, uh, oh, this week I mentioned I was going to Bismarck. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, and then I'm going to uh, Theodore Roosevelt National Park. Another one of the things I like to do is go hiking. So um, my girlfriend cool. lives out there. So we're going to, we're going to go there, but I might, I might see if we can stop in Dickinson. I believe that's T33. And yep. then I think I'm the, just going to go. If, uh, I was actually out there back in June. Mm-hmm. So. so I think I might stop there and just grab a couple pictures of that. Maybe throw it up on our Insta. And, Ooh, um, cool. I don't believe there's anything else along the route. Uh, directly along the route but um, um let's see because if you're heading if you're going through would you pass through devil's lake or are you going back to fargo um i'm actually gonna kind of take a, a short way i i have work until five tomorrow so gotcha so i'm i'm gonna try to go there tomorrow night um so i'm i'm probably gonna kind of zigzag through the middle of the state and mm-hmm. kind of try something new also it cuts down a little bit on the time and Gotcha. I'm yeah, a little I've, cheap, so it saves gas that way. Too, so. <laughs> I feel that, especially oh, nowadays. Um, no, I for an upcoming project, I have to go to the uh, Ronald Reagan Minuteman or missile site. So I'm going to try and make a long excursion out of that. But I've also been trying to think of an excuse to go out to Minot for yeah. like a weekend, like buy a hotel room or something like that. And actually spend a quality amount of time walking through their museum because that's where the Texas Flying Legends are. Yep. And we'll obviously we'll cover them in an upcoming episode, but that is definitely a museum. If you're in, especially if you're in North Dakota, that is a museum that is worth going to. That's, that's still one I have not made it to. Oh, you have not, to go. Oh my gosh. I flew, I flew into Minot last year for a, for a flight lesson and I got so distracted and looking outside and seeing the, I think it was a C-47. I don't really remember the. Yeah. They have the C-47 outside at F-15, least. F-15, I believe. Yep. I was, I saw all the outdoor birds. I, mm-hmm. it was such, it was kind of going back to that Reaper story. I, I mean, I was like, I have to pay attention a little bit, but yeah. Um, but yeah, it was super cool to see. So I think that's only about a, a two, two and a half hour drive for me. So I'm, I'm yeah, for you guys, I, it's like, uh, <laughs> Oh, I got to get up at the crack of dawn. If I'm going to make it out to Minot. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to try to fill my weekends with some warbird stuff now. Cool. Um, a little bit busy time right now but you know oh yeah this, this winter for that. sure i i mean i might even i'll see if i can swing by the museum this weekend but um sweet but uh yeah um cool. also i think we have one more section here before we ramble too yeah. much uh we got the <laughs> aviation history event um, oh of course of course um i think from now on i might try to also do first flights um after this episode that's a good um, idea more of the, the ones I like to do are actually first flights, but we can do both. Um, today is the uh, first flight back in September 10th. Today, that's today's date. Uh, 1944 was the first flight of the uh, Fairchild C-82 packet. Really? Uh, so the packet, um, I believe, is the predecessor to the C-119 flying box car. Um, it's, uh, it's a large cargo and troop transport aircraft. Um, and, uh, they were produced, uh, throughout the mid forties. Um, they weren't too widely used among air forces, I believe. Um, 
I think uh, a few South American countries use them. Mm-hmm. Um, the packet. Let me. Let me. Yeah, it, it kind of looks like a. It looks like a mini one nineteen almost. You say um, C C what was the designation? C eighty two. C eighty two. But um, one of my professors, he's retired now. Uh, oh. Yeah. I got a I got a cool story about this one actually. One of my professors ahead, flew ahead. these yeah. in Alaska back in really the, I believe in the sixties and seventies. He's uh he's retired now. Uh, John Bridewell for those of you from UND, um, amazing man has a crazy lifetime of stories just working all these odd, odd jobs around the states and. He, got, he was telling us about these all the time and how rickety they were. But mm-hmm. So was he um, was he Air Force out in Alaska or a bush pilot? He was a bush pilot. So oh, that's, that's all awesome. Civil, all civilian. But. Awesome. So my cool story about these, um, uh, my, my late grandfather passed away a couple of years ago, and um, my grandmother started seeing a new gentleman um, a couple years older than her. Um, his name is Roy or not Roy. I'm sorry. It's a, Oh my gosh. I'm blanking <laughs> his name. I'm so sorry, but uh, put on the spot. So regardless, um, he graduated high school during world war two. Um, and he became a paratrooper. Uh, he didn't see combat in world war two. It's Gene. His name is Gene. Sorry. Gene, there you go. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm put on the spot. I love you very much. So Gene was a paratrooper with the 82nd airborne and, he flew out, a, or he wasn't a pilot, but a paratrooper, you know. I assume everyone listening, you jump out of planes. Um, I asked Gene, like, what was your favorite and least favorite aircraft to f- jump out of? And he's like, well, we only jumped out of two. And this, my favorite was the C-47, and I hated the packet. And I was like, <laughs> really? Why is that? And he's like, well, if you look at it, and he told me they'd pull up a picture on my phone, you see that it has the same tail. I don't know the exact kind of name for that tail, but it has the same tail as a P-38. And yeah, if you know, fork, fork tail. Fork tail. And if you know, like, the dangers, if you're jumping out of a plane with a fork tail, it can be a little bit deadly. So yeah. he said he, he lost a couple of friends when they their shoots got caught on it. So uh, maybe not so much a cool story, but an interesting one. I think yeah. these were – or maybe it was – I know the AC-119s, were they based on these? They were, yes. Yeah, and those were – um, like predecessors to the AC 47s and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, gunships basically in Vietnam, but yeah. Um, very interesting looking aircraft. And I'd say a quintessential part of the early 19 or early cold war U S air force. Yeah. Say. So Definitely. yeah. Um, uh, is that it for this episode? Yeah, I, I believe so. Yeah. All right. That's yeah, all. Um, so yeah, uh, we apologize that it's taken a while to get out there. Uh, just like busy schedules, you know, we're both in college. So um, yeah, but we hope uh, you like this one and be sure to check for it on our new YouTube channel as well as on Instagram. And I, I don't know, I, I don't think we'll be able to upload this to the previous place that it was put. Um, yeah, I can actually keep it as an audio. So it should, oh, really? Yeah, oh, it, it's perfect. it has like three. It has a video, audio, and then a both file. So uh, the both file can go up to to that YouTube. That is perfect. Uh, we also I I do want to start looking to see if we can get it put on Spotify. I had a couple mm-hmm. of my coworkers that do landscaping that said they couldn't listen to it. Oh, okay. No, we're we're getting too far ahead. But you know yeah. what? Uh, thank you guys for listening. Um, this has been Plains on the Prairie, uh, episode two. Thanks, guys. Yeah.